0: So this morning, I want to talk about a subject, a theme, uh, which I would say is really at the heart of uh, radical questioning, especially in the song tradition. I mean, we say sound because it's a Korean uh, pronunciation. In China, it would be Chan. In Japan, it would be Zen and each of them in each culture. Has a little different flavor, can have a slightly different practice. But one of the things which is very much at the heart of radical questioning in the song tradition is awakening. And so it's kind of really, kind of there is this uh, very strong theme connection. And so in a way you can find this uh, quote which says, great questioning, great awakening, little questioning, little awakening, no questioning, no awakening. So they really kind of of really totally connect them together. And at the same time, when we have the term awakening, I mean, you might notice I use the term awakening and not the term enlightenment, because I think The term enlightenment for me gives me the impression that I am going, or you are going to become like a Christmas tree, kind of all lit up and a little bit kind of, you know, hovering over the ground. But awakening is really about waking up. And really the idea is waking up from being fixed, from limiting ourselves, from the possibility of our creative potential for wisdom, for compassion, really manifesting. So I would like first to read a quote uh, about this awakening, because often the awakening is also kind of uh, connected to the Buddha, because the Buddha means the awakened, the one who is awake. So then this uh, short uh, citation. For Ordinary man or woman is Buddha, and defilement is awakening. So here is basically, this is very much a kind of a theme in the song tradition, that at one level, there is no difference between an ordinary person and an awakened Buddha. Because you have the same container. You're not going looking for the Buddha outside of yourself, somewhere else, who knows where. The Buddha is right here. The awakened one is right here in this organism, in this environment. And then he says, it says, defilement, delusion is awakening. And again, this is pointing out, again, you're not going to find awakening wisdom apart from any confusion you might have. That actually the awakening can also come out of the confusion, can come out of the mistake. So it's not like on one side you have perfection and on the other side you have imperfection. But it's more, it's made of the same material. And so it's kind of, in a way, a little bit how you use, how you encounter, manifest the material. And that's why it says this citation a foolish passing thought makes one an ordinary person, while an awakened second thought makes one a Buddha, an awakened one. So what it is saying here is that in a way, awakening is not a permanent state. Like we're not kind of trying to, as uh, we were, uh, Tony was a little mentioning and people asked about equanimity. Often people seem to think of equanimity as a permanent state. No, no, it's something we can experience at time in different ways. But it's not a permanent state because of conditionality, impermanence. And it's the same in a way with awakening. It's not a permanent state. You could say it's a potentiality. It's a possibility. So as soon as we have a foolish thought, then we are a little bit in the dark. And we might not behave in the most wise and compassionate way. And then the following thought, we could see where we got stuck. We could see where we are harming and we don't follow that. And we do something different. And then it's like we are a Buddha we are awakened in that moment. Then the citation continues: a passing thought <coughs> that clings to sense object is inappropriate. While a second thought that frees one from attachment is awakening. So here that sentence A passing thought that clings to sense objects is inappropriate. While a second thought that frees one from attachment is awakening. Actually, this is a key to what we could call the awakening move. Are we clinging or are we not clinging? And then in a way, we could say that any meditation is the aim, the the kind of the, what we're doing when we meditate is we're trying to dissolve the clinging. And even more so with the radical questioning, what you're really trying to do is not to attain a kind of a mystical state, but we're trying to dissolve the clinging so that we can have, you could say, an awakened response. So that's one of the things about SON, that awakening is not far away. Awakening can be in any moment. If we cling, it's not there. If we don't cling, it's there. But even in the clinging, there is a potential for not clinging. This, I think, is a really important thing to see. Even in the clinging, even in the grasping, there is a potential for not grasping. So basically what it is saying, radical questioning, is we are not stuck. We might be stuck, but we're not stuck all the time, forever, to the same degree. And at any given moment, there can be this moment of grasping they can be this awakened moment. And then in the Sun tradition, in the Sun temple in Korea, where I studied practice for 10 years, actually, what was very uh, interesting about that temple, that monastery, is that they followed the teaching of Master Bojo great Master Bojo, which if you're interested there is one of his book has been translated called Great Radiance. and it's uh, it has is uh, kind of a regular monk's title by chinu and it was translated by a friend of mine who was a monk in Korea Robert Boswa again, we can put that in the notice board if it interests you and Everywhere, everywhere else, all the other temples uh, had more different idea, which was sudden awakening and sudden practice. This is generally, again, the main theme of uh, Chan, Zen, Son. Sudden practice, sudden awakening. Everything is sudden. But in the temple, I was trained, uh, and that's why we were looked a little down upon because we followed uh, more the teaching of Master Bojo of the 12th century in Korea, and who was following on from a great Chan teacher uh, in uh, China, followed this theme, this idea of sudden awakening followed by gradual practice. And I must say, this makes so much more sense to me than sudden practice, sudden awakening, Because even sudden practice generally is not sudden. And as with the story Tony said yesterday of Master Hui Neng Emma, and uh, the disciple Wei Jiang, he sat for seven years before he had his breakthrough. So the idea of sudden awakening followed by gradual practice, it shows in a way that, we are, uh, that our practice is at the crossroad or what you could call the sudden dimension and the width dimension. And so the sudden dimension is when it suddenly we see something or suddenly we ungrasp. This is very interesting. You might have experienced this over time with practice that you practice and you seem to be stuck again and again on the same thing. And then suddenly one day, You have the same condition and you don't react and you respond creatively in a very different way and you surprise yourself oh this time i did not get stuck so in a way there is an aspect of the practice which is gradual that we practice over time and i feel this practice over time is in a way to dissolve what I would call the habit formation. We have mental habit, emotional habit, physical habit, relationship habit. And then like survival mechanism, creative functioning, which becomes a little fixated. And then it's very hard not to react a certain way. And then I think part of the meditation. Uh, especially part of this radical questioning is to help us bring back all this habituation to its creative functioning of thinking, feeling, sensing, relating. So in a way, when we talk of sudden, it means that suddenly something can go. And I feel some of us might have experienced this in meditation, where suddenly suddenly we just practice as usual, and suddenly we might be quiet and clear, or suddenly we can have some insight, or we can have some de grasping. And at the same time, uh, and we can also experience this in daily life, if suddenly we don't repeat the same thing and we're able to have a more creative functioning. And at the same time, because the habituation is over time, then in a way we have this gradual aspect. And so I think for me, this is a beautiful theme in a way, beautiful idea of the fact that suddenly, in a way, any given moment, we can be awakened. We can have an awakened response. But at the same time, this is not permanent. Because it's according to condition. And so, according to conditions, we have been quite habituated. And so, in a way, gradually over time, we work on this habituation, we diminish. And so, in a way, there is, you could call, you could nearly say, this two sides to the practice the more sudden experience, and then the more gradual development aspect. And then I wanted uh, to talk about a citation, which has always been very inspiring for me. And that one is from the uh, uh, Six Patriarch Winning. And that's what he says, because this is a kind of interesting concept in terms of a meditation. And so he says, no thought, so this is a, an idea which you have uh, in uh, radical questioning in some tradition. Is this idea of no thought? But you have, we have to see what do they mean by no thought. You can translate it as no thought, thoughtlessness, whatever. But basically, in Chinese, it means no thought. No thought is to see. And to know all things with a mind free from grasping. So in a way, no thought doesn't mean we have no thought actually and it doesn’t mean the meditation is having no thought. But no thought is to see and to know all things with a mind free from grasping. So in a way, the practice is not to stop thinking. But the practice is in a way to move from habituation, which is sticky, to functioning, which is wide open. And that's why it says, when in use, it pervades everywhere, yet it sticks nowhere. So in a way, what we are trying to do in the practice is moving from the habituation which really fixes us and kind of limit us to this creative functioning which then help us to pervade everywhere without sticking anywhere. And then at the end of the quote he says, but to refrain from thinking of anything so that all thoughts are suppressed this is a bad idea. So, in a way, no thought is not to refrain from thinking anything. No thought, in a way, is not sticking to anything. If we want, if we don't want to stick to it, because as it said, it can pervade everywhere. We can see and know a lot of things. So, it doesn't mean that. With the grasping, there is no creativity. There is no creative functioning. Because that's somebody, when the question was a little kind of saying yesterday by equanimity and joy and wonder. So the fact that, so that's why we have to be careful to think equanimity is nothing happens. Again, equanimity is not sticking. So, you know, it's kind of, we move, with this practice, we move from being sticky. So think of a Velcro, you know, we have Velcro and it's like, it's really sticky. And then think of a surface where the Velcro is gone. Then in a way, there is space, there is freedom, there is no stickiness. So you know, when we're trying with the practice, it's not get rid of everything but actually to dissolve to whatever degree we can the stickiness. That is what we're trying to do, because but not the stickiness, because the stickiness is bad per se, but because it fixes us, it limits us. And often it makes us react in a harmful way for ourselves and for others. And this brings me to the practice I thought we could do today. So today, you can continue with the questioning uh, as the question, what is it? Or you can bring the questioning, a little bit of listening. So you can, in a way, combine the two. Personally, that's what often I do. I kind of like... I have around me, I'm just aware of sound and nearly like inside me from the belly, I ask a question. And I find if I do that, I'm really embedded. So the the questioning doesn't just kind of seem to be focused on me, but it's kind of like there is this questioning within this environment of sound. So we could do listening And listening is interesting also in terms of grasping and defining. But also listening is very interesting in terms of receptivity, which we've already talked about. And kind of do we listen to the sound for ourselves? So we define it, we associate it, we like it or we not like it. Or do we listen to the sound for itself? Because for me, this is part of an awakened uh, position, you could say. I would say a kind of a fixed, limited position is to consider everything from our position. What we hear, what we see, whether it's about me, or I refer it to me, or I define it by me. Of course, up to a point, we do that. We have to do that as a living organism. But I think there is a difference between doing this 50% to doing this 90%. So anyway, we're trying to kind of bring the percentage to 50%. And so this is what is interesting with sound. So the idea in terms of the meditation is you just listen to sound. And then you can hear sound. But also you might hear the silence and just be with the silence. So what is interesting with listening to sound is that it's not personal. And also, it's unpredictable, you cannot predict when uh, the car, you hear a car, or you hear a bird or whatever it might be. So listening to sound is kind of like basically the first thing you do, as uh, Tony was pointing out, is not the metaphor of seeing and pointing. It's really is a metaphor of opening. So in a way, you open to the sound of the world, you open to the music of life. And then we can do this practice in two different ways, you could say, you can just kind of listen to the space open to the space in which the sound happened. Or this is more what I do is that my attention naturally go to the sound I hear the most. Because in terms of listening meditation, we don't have all the same acuity. Some people will have a wider range of what they can hear. And some people will have a smaller range of what they can hear. And as what I mentioned before, if you have tinnitus ringing in the ears, I would not recommend to do listening meditation in a silent room. But walking outside, the listening meditation could be really wonderful if there are sounds around but not in a silent room. But if you don't have teenagers, then you can, yes, be there and just listen to the silence. And in a way, what is my relationship to the silence? This is also interesting. You're sitting there, no sound, hearing the silence, which acts in some way its own sound because you have a little sometimes sound in the ears or there is a little, um, you know, but then it's very subtle. And so often for me, what I find is that I hear the silence. It's very open. And then up oh, my attention, my, I hear a sound. And then I am aware of the sound. And the sound goes. And then there is another sound I am aware of. And then it goes. But that practice is not for you to be aware of every sound to the same degree. We're not in a whole MP competition of listening. It's just to be aware of sound, really that's all there is. And then what is interesting in terms of the radical questioning is to see, generally we perceive the sound, we know the sound, bird, can't. But we don't need to note it. We don't need to name it. But we might do that naturally because we know it. And then sometimes you have some sounds you have no idea. With Stephen, we sit uh, down uh, generally in our little meditation room. And time to time, we hear something behind the wall. some shh. So this is at the moment the greatest mystery of our life. Is there something in this world which goes Because it doesn't do that all the time. So we don't know what's going on. So we hear this sound as a sound, and at the same time we can kind of see the mind. What is that? So just listening. And can we listen to the sound for the sound itself? Because often it's hard not to... This is a car. I don't like car. Where is this person going? And all that. But, but can we just hear the sound for the sound itself? And then the sound goes. And I think with the sound here, we really can be so aware of conditionality. We can be so aware of impermanence. Sound arises and it goes. And so, in a way, you can combine it, as I said, with what is this. So you can do what is this with this embedded in this listening awareness, or you can just listen to the sound. And time to time, if you see the attention going a little kind of without energy, then what is this? Just again, opening either to the sound sphere or opening to everything as we have done before. So I personally, I think the two uh, can combine very nicely. And then, so this is a practice of listening meditation, uh, the practice of receptivity, and very much in the sound tradition, this practice is connected to the bodhisattva of compassion. And so in uh, the canon, you have a bodhisattva called Kuan Yin, Kuan Se Om, in an ancient uh, language, bodhisattva. And that's, a, I don't know if you see it, that's a white statue over there. This is a Chinese representation of uh, Kuan Yin, of the bodhisattva of compassion. And the name of that uh, in Chinese, of that uh, bodhisattva is actually Kuan Yin, the one who hear the sound, the cries of the world, and who respond wisely, compassionately to the suffering of the world. And so for me, what I think is that listening, meditation is a great training for what I would call compassionate, wise listening. And then, from listening to sounds in daily life, we can move this to listening to word. Because often in the sound tradition, we talk about emptiness. And so sometimes people think it means you know there is some mystical emptiness somewhere, but there is not. But if you look at a word, what is? A word. a word is just a little son- sonorous wave. It's a sound. And you might be sitting in meditation and suddenly you have the memory of a word somebody said to you two years ago. And generally it's unpleasant. And then from that word, two years ago, then it becomes unpleasant now. Actually, the world is empty because as soon as it was said, it was gone. And then here we can really see the grasping to something which is so unsubstantial, but of course can be very harmful. And then that's why for me, in a way, the opposite of grasping is creative engagement. How can I creatively engage with the word I hear? And so this we can talk maybe more in the discussion or tomorrow morning. And so today, just to see if we want to continue with just asking in the question, what is this? Or if we want to bring a little bit of this listening meditation within it. And then, in terms of doing the meditation practice where you are here in your room, then you have to see. Uh, in the past, I used to open my window, but it looks like you could not hear anything from the window. So I am not going to open my window. And it might make more sense for you to open your window unless it's really cold and unless the sand are really too much. So, see, uh, in a way, what you what is more appropriate for you to open your window and there is some sound or just to sit quietly in the silence in your room because I still hear some sound but I kind of have double glazing so I faintly personally hear cows and things of that nature. So that's what I wanted to suggest for this morning and then now we can just for a minute just stretch a little bit before the meditation. So, if we find a comfortable posture, settling in the body, the back is upright but not tense, the shoulders are relaxed to the degree we can. We are grounded in our seat. So grounded in our belly, if that's comfortable. And then opening ourselves with calm and brightness to the sound of the world to the music of life. Can we hear a sound, a sound for itself? listening to sounds, experiencing their arising, passing away, if they stay a little while, experiencing their changing within themselves, Hearing a sound, it's already gone. Can we let go of words from the past? They're already gone. Can we feel the sensation of questioning in the belly while opening to sound? calm and bright while listening to the music of life